Father, we bow before you at this hour. We are again in need of you. We sense that, Lord, and we ask your, your Holy Spirit would move among us. You would reveal yourself to us, Lord. This is your hour, Lord, and yet it's also our hour so that we can partake of what you have to share with us. So bless us as we share this time together, especially I pray for open hearts, open minds to receive instruction, Lord, that the preconceived ideas we may be holding within, that those ideas might be subject to what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not sure, should I turn my pulpit this way? I think you all need to know too. <clears throat> chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to read the first um, 16 verses here. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was a man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it calmly that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the church of God. Now, the subject that I was asked to address this morning, the subject that I was asked to address is one that has been a subject of great controversy over the years, no doubt. And I'm sure that you're familiar with that. I don't think I have a whole lot of new to tell you. But anyway, this has been a subject of great controversy, so much so that most pastors and teachers don't want to even address the subject. And, uh, but unless the church, I would like to add, unless the church continues to do so, Unless the church continues to address this subject, it's only a matter of time till it's altogether lost under the disguise of new light. And we hear a lot of those things going on today. So this morning, we want to open up our hearts to this portion of Scripture and allow the Word to give us some direction. I'm convinced that wherever there's a Scripture that is the cause of a lot of controversy among God's people, there's a reason behind it all. What is of importance to God? Whatever is importance to God... You can count on it. The devil tries to downplay it and cause contention over it. And if he, if he is able to successfully cause contention over the written word of God, you know, then he can get many, many among God's children to simply disregard it. If it's going to cause so much contention, let's not even practice it. You think a little bit with me. There's been a lot of contention going on over the years and the misuse of it and the abuse of excommunication in a congregation has caused many churches to totally disregard it. Does that mean that the Word doesn't talk about it? No, not in the least. And so it is with this subject.
But the devil loves to raise up a lot of questions and a lot of contention about it to the point where man discards it and says, look, it's not worth it. We get into all kinds of divisions and splits and splinters because of it, so why not just drop the whole thing? Well, whenever we are confronted with such issues, we need to ask ourselves an honest question. Am I willing to look at the subject with an honest, open heart? In other words, I'm asking all of you sitting here this morning, I'm not sure, I know you sisters are wearing a head covering, and I, and, and, but that doesn't say a whole lot. I know a lot of women wear head coverings that don't even know why. And, and I don't know where some of you boys are, but I know this. There's a real strong tendency today in the Church of Jesus Christ for young people to look at this thing and say, look, you know, what, what's, what's the point? But uh, I'm, I'm convinced, see, that the outward working of this principle is what you see on the head of women, and that's only a small portion of what the real issue is, and that's where the problem lies. We need to get a hold of the principle of this thing. But uh, in other words, am I willing to change my view? Am I willing to change my understanding for a better one? Or am I so defensive? Am I so protective toward my position that I have taken that I won't change my view even when clearly shown? And by the way, this goes for all scripture, not just this one that we're going to address here in our text. Listen, the truth needs no defense. The truth needs no protection. And as, you know, it will always say what it means and mean what it says. The truth will stand on its own two feet, whether I support it or whether I don't support it. My support is not going to strengthen it, nor my, nor my disregard of it. It's weakening it. It just doesn't work that way. The truth will stand for itself. And uh, it's up to us to relate to that truth. It's going to be to our, our, uh, our loss if we just neglect it. Minds, you know, if our minds are so made up that we cannot hear God speak and give us new insight over something that we thought... Uh, it says we are the losers. Too many of us have been brought up in such a way that we think we know what the, God, what the Word of God should say rather than what it does say. I've often wished I could go back and I often wished I could just be a nobody out there that all of a sudden gets saved and I never even saw the Word of God and somebody would hand me a Bible and tell me what, what this Bible's for and I would read it and I would have my first impression upon my heart what the Bible does say rather than that I was brought up in what the Bible should say. And you know, that can go a long way in taking you off course. And so let's look at our text and see what we can learn. I titled my message, Headship Order for the Church. In verse 2, Paul calls this subject an ordinance. And it's worth it to take note that the definition of ordinance is as follows. An authoritative direction, a decree of command, an established rule or law, a prescribed practice. Now, this definition gives some authority to an ordinance. When you look at the word an ordinance, this description gives authority to it. And Paul openly praises the church at Corinth for keeping this ordinance. I'm going to talk very fast this afternoon. I'm not sure if it's going to be profitable for you to take notes. If you want to get more out of it, get the CD. But I'm, only li I'm limited with so much time, and I don't want to go through this half-finished. I don't think it's good. So, anyway, I believe, I, I, I believe that what we need to get a hold of is is uh, the why behind this ordinance. The why behind the practice. Three, I'd like to, verse 3 indicates, I believe, a concern that Paul had in spite of their faithful practice of the ordinance. I believe Paul had a concern. And I believe that concern is why they were practicing it. You see, it's very easy to keep up with outward practice. That's not the hard thing. It's very easy, it's especially if you were born into a family, into a church uh, church. Uh, uh, 
a culture or a church setting where it was always the practice. Sometimes there's more pressure, peer pressure, not to practice it than it is to practice it. If you're the odd person in there, a lot of people are hanging on to some of these ordinances because they'll be the odd person if they don't. Well, listen, we've got to have something deeper than that. We've got to get to the point that we know why this ordinance is here. And we need to understand the principle that is behind it. But anyway, I have seen and continue to see this very thing among God's people. They, they, uh, you know, they practice the ordinance, but, but the, the way they practice it is actually, it becomes a total contradiction to the principle. It's very easy to keep up with an outward practice to where it becomes the focus. And then, if it becomes the focus, the, the true reason is lost behind it. And you could go to many, many hundreds of women today that are wearing a head covering and ask them why they're wearing it, and many of them would not be able to give you a good, solid answer why. And so, that's what I want to teach this morning. Carefulness with the outward practice but, uh, is, is something that a lot are doing, but the principle behind it is lost. And that can happen in more than one application of the principle which I want to address in this message. I believe the reason this ordinance is being so rapidly lost in the church is because the principle behind the practice is being lost. The world has rubbed off on the church. Just look around you. Just look around you today. The world scoffs and disdains the very principle of this thing. I mean, it's a, it's a disgraceful thing for, for a woman to be subject to a man in the eyes of the world. And, and of course, the, that rubs off on the, on, the, on the church. This, like I said, this in turn, it intimidates the church to where many resort to reason instead of obedience. And they'll go along reasoning and reasoning. Look, the first thing we want to notice about this reasoning thing it was the fall of Eve. If she would have never reasoned with the devil, she would have never fell. But once we start reasoning with those kind of things, is when we fall. Now, as we look at this subject, we want to address the why behind the practice. And I want to break it down to three areas to address. Number one, authority order or headship order. Number two, application of this order. Number three, the purpose of this order. Let's look at the first one, headship order. This one here is the reason behind the other two. And the one that is most quickly lost, yet its roots go all the way back to Genesis 3 to the fall of men. Verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. That is what is called the headship order from God to woman, and how God has ordained it. And we do well to take it at that, and just practice it that way. Christ is under God, man is under Christ, and the woman under man. Each one is to be subject, or we could say under the authority of its head. You don't have to read very far into the Gospels to see how subject Christ was unto the Father. You will find that over and over again. Christ was subject to God his head. Nor do you read the epistles without finding clear direction for the man to submit to Christ. Not very far into the scriptures you will find that man is to be submissive to his head Christ, the head of the church. In the same way, the woman, 1 Peter 3 verse 1, Ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Colossians 3 verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Ephesians 5:33. The wife is to see that she reverence her husband. Now, this is the direction and order that God has given man for his own good. And see, that's the problem. Most of the time, it's this thought that I'm being subject to a man just for his own ego. That's how the world looks at it. But if, if women could just look at the fact that this is for her protection, it's for her good, 
It's for the good of all mankind, really. Now, like I said, this is the direction God gives in, in gives us uh, the order that God has given us for our own good, and He tells us clearly why the woman is to be put under the authority of man. Verse eight of our text: For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Verse nine: Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. Nevertheless, verse eleven says, Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14 gives us more light on this subject. Verse 11 of 1 Timothy 2 says, Let the woman learn in silence <coughs> with all subjection. <coughs> Verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to suffer authority over the man, but to be in silence. Then in verse 13 and 14 he tells us why God ordained it this way. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Apparently, God looked at Adam and Eve's sin in the garden as Eve's sin, the greater of the two. Now, our way of thinking would sometimes not, that doesn't make sense oftentimes to our way of thinking. I would tend to think that if someone knows that it's wrong, it's worse than if somebody doesn't know it's wrong and doesn't. But the fact remains, Eve uh, trespassed twice. First of all, she knew it was wrong. She told the devil so. She even said what God quoted. But because she reasoned around and let the devil talk to her too long, the devil convinced her that it really wasn't that way. And so she fell the first time. The next time she fell, she actually ate of it. So she had two transgressions. The first one was to fall for the devil's uh, deceptive ways, and the second was that she ate of it. Adam had one transgression. He ate it. But, at, but it says Adam was not deceived. And I'm inclined to believe that Adam knew that if he ate of that fruit, it's going to bring the separation. And I believe he feared the separation from his wife more than he feared the separation from God. I believe that's actually why he fell for it. Well, I would think, Adam, come on, you knew better. Why would, you know, I would think his sin was the greater, but not, not the way God sees it. God sees deception as a terrible, terrible thing. And so, he put Eve under Adam because of that. Also because a woman's emotional makeup, the, you know, a woman's emotional makeup as a whole Women's emotional makeup as a whole is usually more susceptible to deception because, because of their uh, emotional makeup. They're as a whole more readily deceived than others. I'm using this scripture as a foundation behind the principle of headship order. And the very fact that the devil has made great headway in destroying this order tells me how important this principle is to God. I preached a message some years ago in, in just the finding out what God's will is by looking at why, what the devil is trying to destroy. You can mark it down. Whatever the devil is all out there to destroy is something important to God. <clears throat> Look at society around us and see how much is in direct violation to God's order of things. How can a woman be a state trooper and not assert authority over men? How can a woman be a judge, and there are many judge, women judges in the land today, and, and, uh, and not assert authority over men? Now, that is out there, beyond the church's responsibility. We let God judge those things. That's not up to us to take care of or to judge. But what about within the church? How can a wife be the steering wheel of the home and not be out of her place? How can she be the one who directs decisions and makes decisions and carries them out while her husband is too laid back to take his place and rise up as a man and not be out of God's order? 
And this is a constant problem that you have in the church. I find it so much so. In our churches today, we have a lot of remnant families coming, coming uh, from off the street or wherever. When we had our church in New York, we had 75% people from off the street and where, what have you that were part of the church. And no fault to them. I praise God. I think our churches ought to be open. The gospel is such that it will fit all cultures and all people. Absolutely so. And if we, if we impress or, or if we make them be subject to something that is nothing but the traditions and commandments of men, we're going to lose them. I think it's, it needs to be biblical. You've got to realize that all, the Bible is written in such a way and the principle is applied in such a way that it will fit all cultures of all time. And so we got a lot of people off the street. Some of them have been former devil worshippers. Uh, but they got saved. And praise God, the grace of God is able to reach such. He's able to save unto the uttermost, the Bible tells us. But nevertheless, some of them have had former teaching that runs hard against the grain when it comes to God's Word. And that's especially that thing of women's lib. You get a lot of women that have not been brought up at least with a shadow of submission. And they're brought up under this women's lib uh, philosophy out there in the world today and you will find it that they have a hard time adjusting to being subject to a man it just it gives problems in the church constantly you know a lot of career women get get saved and they've been known from way back to take their children to the to the to the babysitter for the day or the daycare center and and have their own career and uh, uh, we have a, a woman in the church where we're at now that was the mayor of the town and you know women like that find it awful hard to adjust to the fact that they're to be subject to men but anyway <clears throat> how can a woman that directs and makes decisions and carries them out when her husband is sitting back and too laid back to rise up and meet the challenge how can she uh, remain within God's order will God's blessings be on such a home situation will children in that home grow up with the right concept of God's order of things? Good question. Will they grow up and understand God's order of things if the wife is constantly running the home? I'm afraid that many times when children are out of order and are not minding the parents, but the home is in constant chaos and the discipline that they're trying to, to, uh, to apply to the children to, make them, uh, to bring them around is not, seemingly to, uh, is not working like it should. You know, uh, many of them think, well, what am I doing wrong? I think the first thing that needs to be looked at in a home like that is who is running the home. If God's order is not in place, you cannot expect the rest of God's book to work. You've got to get things in order, first of all. Many dysfunctional homes, they don't even realize how dysfunctional they are till they step into a quiet, peaceful home that has order. Proverbs 29, verse 17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. You shall have... You sh he shall... Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Is your home a restful place? Is your home a place of peace and quiet? If not, perhaps it's not because of a lack of multiple attempts to train your children the right way, so much as a lack of proper headship order and the desired results of discipline are not experienced because they're not working, because the first thing in the home is out of order. There's so much more that could be said concerning headship order, but I have a lot of ground to cover, and so we'll move on to the next one. Number two, application of headship order. Uh, if you want to know that application, again, I'm not going to take the time. We just did read it, but read 4 through 15 there on the application of headship order. 
Now the outward application, the visible evidence of the principle in the heart or the recognition of God's headship order is man's, unco- is man's head uncovered and the woman's head covered. There you have the two opposites. Man's head uncovered and the woman's head covered. That is very clear in the verses 4 through 15 as you'll find. The King James Bible in, its, in, in, in some respects I feel is not as clear uh, especially on this subject. The King James Version of the Bible on the, in this respect is not as clear as some other versions. Nevertheless, even others contradict themselves to fit popular opinion. Every translator likes to be accepted. And so they, 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 they do things that contradict themselves, and I'll show a little bit of that. Let me read some of these verses in the New Jerusalem Bible. Verse 4 says, Every man praying or prophesying with his head covered shows disrespect toward his head, Christ. Verse 5, But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered shows disrespect toward her head, her husband, or her authority. It is exactly the same as if her hair were shaved off. Verse 6, Indeed, if a woman does go without a veil, she should have her hair cut off too. If it is a shameful thing for a woman to have her hair cut off, let her be veiled. For a man, for a man it is not right for him to have his head covered. For he is a reflection of Christ's glory. But a woman is a reflection of man's glory. Decide for yourself. Does it seem fitting that a woman should pray without a veil? Does not nature teach us that for a man to have long hair is a disgrace? Now all of that is really, really clear. Now look at the last verse. What I'm meaning about some people, they just all of a sudden they turn right around and contradict themselves. But if a woman have long hair... It is her glory. After all, her hair was given to her to be covered. Or to be a covering. Now, to most sincere Christians, the question is not whether a woman needs to be covered or not, as much as what is the covering. That is basically the argument that goes on. Is it to be a covering outside or other than her long hair? Or is her long hair her covering? That's the debate that goes on. And this is where a lot of disagreements become evident. Some say the woman's hair is her covering because of verse 15. While others hold to the conviction that this scripture is talking about a covering other than her hair. Let's look at this more closely. If we hold to the persuasion that her hair is her covering, that her long hair is given her for a covering or in of a covering because I do believe her long hair is given her for a covering and I'll, I'll go into that later but people look at that for a covering as instead of a covering but if you hold to that persuasion that her hair is given her instead of a covering we're going to run into a lot of problems where these scriptures will contradict themselves and, uh, and, and run in circles now let me explain now, if all that we had for clarity, if all that we had for clarity was verse 13, 14, and 15, I could see where some could come to that conclusion. That all Paul is saying is that the woman should have long hair and men short hair. But of course, we don't have just these three verses for clarity. We have a half of a chapter here. And if we substitute the word long hair or short hair for covering, this passage wouldn't make any sense. Let's try it. Every man praying or prophesying having long hair dishonoreth his head but every woman praying or prophesying with short hair 
dishonoreth her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if the woman does not have long hair, let her also be shorn. And if it be shameful for a woman to be shaved or shorn, let her have long hair. Now tell me, how can a woman have long hair when she's praying or prophesying and not have long hair when she's doing the rest of it, when she's going about the rest of her household duties? Hair don't grow that fast, do they? And how can a man have short hair when he's praying and prophesying and not have short hair the rest of the time? Verse 6, For if the woman does not have long hair, let her also be shorn. It doesn't make sense, does it? Because the very reason she doesn't have long hair is because she's already shorn. Now, although I believe the King James Version translators did a good job as a whole, I certainly believe that they made mistakes here and they could have done a better job in this passage. For instance, in verse 13, Paul uses a different Greek word for uncovered than for covering in verse 15. And the translators should have made that distinction, but they didn't. They put it together. In verse 13, is it comely that a woman pray to God uncovered? Here the Greek word for uncovered is karakalusa. Then in verse 15, her hair is given her for a covering. The Greek rendering for covering is a total different word and meaning which I don't even know how to pronounce. But it's totally different. Other translators didn't do that. Didn't do like the King James translators did. They picked up the distinction in, in those two Greek words. And that's why the New Jerusalem Version read very, very clear what I just read today. They interpreted it as a veil. For instance, the New Jerusalem Bible that I quoted before reads like this in verse 13. Decide for yourself, does it seem fitting that a woman should pray without a veil? But then in verse 15, it turns around and it says, But if a woman have long hair, it is her glory. After all, her hair has given her to be a covering. <clears throat> Let me ask you something. If her, it says here, in the, like I said in, in this version, After all, her hair has given her to be a covering. A covering for what? That's the question. A covering for what? The Bible does say her hair is given her for a covering. But a covering for what? A covering for baldness so she has her glory. Her long hair is her glory. In other words, we could say this way. It's a glory to her because her long hair serves as a covering for a bare head or baldness. And therefore God gave her glory by giving her long hair. And her glory is to be covered. So her hair cannot be the covering. It must be a covering other than the long hair which is her glory. <coughs> Without a doubt, long hair on a woman makes her look more feminine than short hair. And that's why nature itself teaches us that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Men are not to attract attention to their hair. Women is not wrong to attract attention to her hair, especially her husband. There's something feminine about long hair. I could never put up with a wife that has short-cut hair like that. I mean, that to me is obnoxious. It's speaking about two distinctively different coverings. One is a man-made covering to cover her God-given covering. Put it that way. One is a man-given covering to cover her God-given covering. So then, since this is, clearly, uh, this is clearly speaking of a covering for women other than her hair... Why do so few professing Christians practice it? First of all, 
What Paul teaches in this chapter is politically and scripturally incorrect in our day. And so commentators need to come up with all kinds of ridiculous excuses for not following the directions that it gives. Everyone wants to be accepted. No one enjoys being classed as irradical or even different. And so generation after generation, it gets weaker and weaker in its practice until it's labeled as out of date and no longer necessary. And when the practice is lost, so is the principle. They go hand in hand. Mark it down. When the practice, outward practice is lost, the principle eventually takes uh, the principle eventually is lost as well. And that is why you have women pastors and teachers and women usurping authority over men. Let's go to the last one. Number three. <clears throat> the purpose of the veil. There are a lot uh, there are at least three purposes for the veil. Number one, evidence of recognized authority and submission to it. Number two, a sign to the angels. Verse 10. Number three, to be a covering. Let's consider the first one. We already talked about, uh, about this one. But to refresh our minds, let's consider some things here. A veiled woman is to be evidence of recognized authority and submission to it. A veiled woman is to be evidence of recognized authority and submission to it. It speaks of submission to God's order of things. But sad to say, like I mentioned before, there are many women who hold to the application but disregard the principle. They wouldn't think of disregarding the veil. They wouldn't think of such a thing. But they are not subject to their husband's leadership but basically run the home. Such, I feel, would be better off not wearing a veil because the application is a mockery to the principle. Number two, a sign. The scriptures don't use the word sign. You won't find it there. But verse 10 indicates as much since it gives a message to the angels. So what are the angels looking for? They're looking for a sign. I don't know how to put it any other way. I don't understand all of this. But verse 9 says, the man wasn't created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Because of this, verse 10, the woman is to have power on her head. The word power is translated a covering, a sign that she is under the power of her husband because of the angels. Now, like I said, I will give my interpretation of this for a better one, but I personally believe the Bible says in Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. God is sending His ministering angels continually out to, to help such, to, to, be, uh, to minister to the heirs of salvation. Now, don't ask yourself a question. Don't you think it makes a difference in how they minister to a woman when she is covered or when she is not? Don't you think it makes a difference to the angels from heaven coming down as ministering spirits? Don't you think it would make a difference how they minister to her when they see a woman in her place with evidence of submission on her head? I believe it does. I believe it makes a difference how they minister to women. Now, if the purpose of the veil was solely for a sign to the angels, if that was all that the, the veil, the purpose of the veil was for, then the size of it would be of little importance. Angels can see a small size as easy as, uh, as a big one. If the size was, uh, I mean, if, uh, if the sign, if the purpose of the veil was for a sign only, then the size of it would be of little importance. Like I said, angels can see a small sign as well as a large sign. But as we can see when we address purpose number three, the purpose for the veil is also to cover. To cover. 
And there's, you know, the words covered in verse 4, uncovered, verse 5, covered, verse 6, cover, verse 7, uncovered, verse 13, and covering in verse 15, they all give a message. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say what size of veil or covering needs to be to be scriptural or to cover the principle. I'm not going to do that. I don't need to do that. All each one needs to do is answer question, answer one question with an honest heart. Does the veil or covering I wear give a message to the angels and does it cover my head? Verse 5. Now there's a lot of controversy going on about that. I was in a church where we had coverings much like your sisters wear. For years we were part of that church and one of the fathers in that church just couldn't see it. He said it's not right if you can see through the covering. My wife had a see-through covering and all the other women did. He did not let his wife or his daughters wear a covering that you could see through. He said it doesn't cover. It's like a transparent glass. I'm just saying, bringing this out, that's how people look at it. Other people look at it if they got a little doily on the back of the head. It's fine. Because they look at it as a sign. Well, I think it's more than a sign, like I just mentioned here. But if it doesn't cover, if it doesn't, it's, I'm dishonoring my head. Verse 5. Again, we need to be careful. Or the application is a mockery to the principle. Now, I'd like to address some common reasonings and excuses concerning this subject. Here's a common one. What's in the heart is all that matters. You hear this in all the time. I say, Amen. But let's be careful what we're thinking of. What's in the heart is all that matters. The outward application is not that important if I keep the principle. That on the surface may sound not too bad. Matter of fact, it sounds quite spiritual. But answer this question. Have you ever known someone that discarded the application that didn't, with time, also discard the principle? Or, or lose the principle? You see, there's something about outward manifestations of what is in the heart that is very important. The Bible doesn't just say, believe in thine heart. It also says, confess with thy mouth. There's something about outward manifestations of what's going on in the heart that is very important to God. The children of Israel, by commandment of God, were to wear certain clothing to remind them who they were and what they stood for. Just as faith without works is dead, and we all believe that, so the principle without the application is dead. Matter of fact, many times the outward application reminds us of the principle and its importance to God. It keeps reminding us as we go along. Even in secular society, they know the value of outward evidence of what a person is inside. Take, for instance, the military force. You cannot be part of the military force unless you come under their regulations and under their, you've got to wear certain clothing and they believe by outward, uh, by outward appearance or by outward dress, one is reminded who he is and what he stands for. The same goes for airplane pilots and stewardesses. To them, outward appearance speaks of dedication and purpose. You ever take notice, these stewards in airplanes or in the, in the jets and these pilots, they're all dressed up. They know what they stand for. And, and it gives you comfort. You know when you go in there, there's not just some slob behind these controls. These are people that care how they dress. How many of you would be comfortable letting a doctor operate on you who dresses like a slob with hair down to his waist? I'd just as soon stay home, I believe. Yes, what's in the heart is all that matters. But if it's truly, if it's truly in the heart, 
it will be revealed unmistakably on the outside. Here's another one. I prayed and prayed about the veiling and the Lord revealed to me that it's not for our day. Such testimonies tend to intimidate some. It does. It intimidates some people. But I'll be frank with you, I don't trust such revelations. First of all, we don't need new different revelations. We don't need them. The revelation, the word we have is complete. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 reads, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Note the exclusive words being used there. We cannot say this is incomplete, that we need another revelation as far as direction for holiness is concerned. This tells me that the Bible is complete and able to furnish all its followers for the direction they need in holiness and, and such. I don't believe in another revelation that contradicts what we already have. I discard it. I don't believe in it. And I don't trust new light that doesn't correspond with God's word. Paul told the Galatians, even if an angel came to them, from heaven, what would you think if you'd see an angel come down from heaven and tell you, sisters, that your head covering is nothing but a culture back then? Well, that would be a hard one. Paul says, let him be accursed. I've never met anyone who had this new revelation about discarding the veil and followed it I've yet to meet the person who had that revelation and followed it, followed it that didn't lose out in many more areas in just a short time. And oftentimes the first sign that really wakes you up is immodesty. comes right along with disobedience. And I could name a lot. I've seen a lot. It's shocking where some end up at in a very, very short time. What makes you think? Uh, what makes us think that the God who changes not is all of a sudden going to change his mind about headship order and its outward application. Are Christians today getting so much more spiritual and God-fearing than they were 100, 200 years ago? Is God giving them new revelations that he couldn't give the early Christians because they were too carnal? If God's children, if the church today is so much more spiritual than they were 100 and 200 years ago, like I said, how come it's so hard to find hymns and spiritual songs that have the depth of the hymns that were written back then? I mean, let's get real. Were the Christians of 200 years ago who basically all believed in this subject of headship order, were they so carnal that God couldn't give them the new revelation? The truth about the matter is the devil is out to destroy the home. And if he can destroy headship order, he's well on his way to destroy the home. Is there no value in history? Some of us have been so gun-shy from history or from what we've been taught, and for good reasons, that we react. And let me tell you, a reactionary spirit never takes a person on the right road. A person with a reactionary spirit backs up the road of life. He's so concerned where he has been that he doesn't look where he's going. But should each generation just follow their own ideas 
and not consider the walk of those before them? I realized we can't just follow man. I realized that. Some of us did in that, and we were deceived in that. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If something took place today here in this setting, this afternoon, suppose something dramatic took place in this setting, and then 100, 200 years from now, somebody would want to recall, would want to know, you know there was a dramatic thing happened at the setting there at that Bible camp, and uh, I'd like to know more about it. Wouldn't you think that the best way to find out what really happened here in 2012 in this camp meeting would be to find someone that wrote about it that was there. Certainly. We wouldn't be so foolish as not to think that way. Well, why then are we so prone to discard early writings concerning some of these people that were very close to the time of Christ and their understanding and interpretation of things? Why doesn't the church consider the same thing in interpreting hard-to-be-understood scriptures. So many clear scriptures have been reasoned away down through the years that plain, clear scriptures are disregarded with new revelations. Yet, if you check up on early church writings, you will find their interpretation of scripture as very, very different than what is being taught today. There are early church writings available that go back shortly after the apostles. Men like Polycarp, Clement of Alexander, Tertullian, and many others left behind detailed writings about important issues and doctrinal issues that are, that are sobering when you consider what is being taught today. These men all believed in the head covering. You will not find any of them that didn't believe in it. Were they just naive? Writings, drawings, and paintings in the catacombs reveals the same. I don't know if any of you know David Perso, but he's one that loves history from Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. But he was in the catacombs himself. And he saw some of these here sculptures and drawings on the walls of the catacombs where the Christians were in hiding way, way, way back. And every one of those women were covered down to their shoulders. <clears throat> he saw paintings of Christians praying, standing, lifting up holy hands to God. And his testimony was all their women had very noticeable veils over their heads down to their shoulders. Again, were those Christians back then so naive that they just couldn't get the newest revelation from God? Were they so carnal? Let's look at another common argument. I only wear a veiling or covering for, for church. That is what this passage is talking about. I'll be honest with you. I don't understand how anyone can make such a statement. Yet that's, that's the popular statement today. This passage where this headship order is and covering is taught says nothing whatsoever about church services you won't find anything like that it's talking about whenever praying or prophesying is done do you limit your praying do you limit your praying to church services what about Ephesians 6.18 praying always with all prayer and supplication what about 1 Thessalonians 5.17 pray without ceasing <coughs> what if a man would only uncover his head to pray in church only in church would he uncover his head. You'd say he's being disrespectful toward God. At home on the table he wears hat. You'd say he's being disrespectful to God and rightly so. Turn that right around. It's just as disrespectful for a woman to pray uncovered at home. 
Why is it wrong for a woman to pray uncovered in church if it isn't wrong in other places? And by the way, where does this thought and practice that a man needs to take off his hat to pray come from? Where does that come from? Even the general public does that when a prayer is said. Even unbelievers. You go out, if you have a meeting on the street or something, suppose uh, something happens or there's an accident or something and or there's even a Catholic priest comes up and he starts praying, men that don't profess any religion will take their hats off. Why? We say that's culture. It's more than culture. It tells me that this has been a practice handed down from years and years and years. And let me ask you another question. If a woman, if a woman's long hair is her covering, then to be consistent, we would have to say a man's short hair is his uncovering. And he wouldn't ever have to take his hat off. Church service, he could sit there with a hat on, whatever. He'd never take his hat off. Because his short hair is his uncovering. If the woman's long hair is her covering. You see, we know better than that. Something within us tells us that, that that's not true. And it has been handed down generation after generation. Why, if you look at old, uh, old uh, church pictures. I looked at a picture of a Baptist church that was like 150 years old. And you would not believe it. This was a Baptist church as we know the Baptists today. Their women looked more conservative than the women I see sitting here today. 150 years ago in the Baptist church. They all had coverage. Were they so naive? Were they so blunt, so carnal that God couldn't speak to them and give them new revelations? Sobering, serious things to think about. <clears throat> well, even the public and how they relate to prayer, even on the streets, those that don't even profess God, uh, is, is proof that this doctrine I'm sharing was also taught in bygone years. Let's consider another question. Whenever a prayer is said in public, even non-church-going men will bow and take off their hats in reverence and respect. How come women in the same crowd don't see the need to cover their heads? Do you ever see women out there in the public? When men take their hats off, the women put something on their head? No. One is as necessary as the other, according to verses 4 and 5 of our text here. Another excuse that is common. Paul taught what he did because it was a cultural practice back then. But it's no longer for us today. First of all, if it was the culture of Paul's day, then why did he need one half of a chapter to talk about it? I mean, let's get real. It would have, not, it, it would have been the natural thing for him. If it was, if it was the culture of their day then it would have been the natural thing to do, uh, you know, he wouldn't have had to talk about it. The fact of the matter is, Roman and Greek society, if you look at it, did not practice this, as, they, uh, as you can find out from history. Sometimes you hear this, it's an Amish, Mennonite, or Anabaptist culture practice. You'll hear that sometimes. But it's not, even though many of them practice it. The headship order and covering never was a culture. It was a Christian early church doctrine and practice that stood in contrast to the culture back then. That's why Paul had to specifically teach it. That's why he took a half a chapter to teach it. Because it was not the culture. It was not the accepted practice. And so he, he uh, had taught them and came back and wrote them a letter and said, I thank God for the ordinance you're keeping. And praise God that you're taking recognition to it. In closing, let us remember the wearing of a veil 
is only the application of a much deeper principle and unless we are solid and obedient in God's headship order the application becomes a mockery wouldn't a woman state trooper make a mockery out of the Bailey if one pulled you over you men a woman, would, a woman state trooper would pull you over and she'd be wearing a head covering that's ridiculous you know we all know that it would, we would say that's making a mockery of that head covering which it, it's unthinkable we think how does God see it when a woman is running ahead of her husband making all the plans running the show but wears a veiling or head covering does it look different to God there are many that practice the application without really knowing or getting the principle but I believe there are very few who really get a hold of the principle who don't see the need to also practice the application Okay, we have a few minutes. Maybe someone has a question. Yes. I know exactly what you're saying. I call that reason for a hat a weather a weather protection. And I've thought and thought and thought about that. I know men will never wear anything on their head unless they absolutely have to if it's just a blizzard or whatever. I am not that, how could I say, if the, to me if the sun is shining bright I need something to shade my eyes I'll wear a hat. Or if I wear it just for weather protection shade whatever it may be. But I've come to the conclusion that I can bow my head anywhere and just pull my hat off and pray. Uh, Praying without ceasing can also mean an attitude. It'll cover that. Let me ask you sisters. I mean, we don't want to come down to the letter of something and make a law of something that goes beyond the principle. Uh, man is always in danger of doing that. But suppose you sisters are washing your hair and a, and a storm comes up and lightning would strike the house and you would be struck by lightning. Would you have been in disobedience to God? I don't think anybody here would think you were. So we have to be real. And like I said, you don't want to come down to the letter of things. The letter killeth. But the Spirit gives liberty. Any other questions? Yes. In verse 13 there, um, King James, it says, Judging yourselves. I think in the version you was reading, it says, Decide for yourselves. What mm-hmm. is that all about? I mean, it seems pretty clear. So what is, why is that bringing it in for us to decide for ourselves? I think it's telling us, doesn't, uh, you know, think. Don't you think it, 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 it seems even right? In other words, don't you think that it's, like, like verse 14 there, it also says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. The same, the same reason that it doesn't look right for a man to be out there with long hair to his shoulders and glorying in his hair, the same reason that doesn't seem right, for that same reason it doesn't seem right for a woman to have short-cut hair. There's something about it that is obnoxious to us. It, 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 I don't know, it, it just, it's like fingernails on a blackboard to me. I don't know if I answered your question. Are you saying it's a rhetorical question, essentially? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. 
Now, in other words, is it not only logical that that's how it should be? After saying everything he did, he's coming back and saying, look, isn't it just logical to, to, to believe this way? But, but I still think there's something, maybe it's just because of the teaching or whatever, but a woman to have cut hair, she loses all her looks of her feminine looks to me. It just doesn't hold right. Yes. An unmarried woman. That's a good question. Because, you know, when I read the scriptures to confirm what Paul taught, all the scriptures referred to wives. But Paul did not say wives here. He said woman. Now that's a, that's a big thing too. I know people that will... The Amish where we grew up, they wore coverings on their girls when they were just a week old. Others will wear coverings start wearing coverings when they're nine, ten years old. Others will wait until they're uh, an adolescent. Or others will wait until they get saved. Uh, I'm not critical about that. I think we need to have some patience and understanding in that and, under, and, and look at the motive of things. Uh, I personally prefer, that's, that's my preference, I personally prefer to see a woman put on a covering once she gets saved. Uh, Others may differ on that. Like I said, I don't have any objection if you feel different on that. But I think there should be a, a distinction that is noticeable once a woman gives her heart to God. Any other questions? Got only a minute or so. Um, I worked on construction, first uh, construction site, and we were required to wear hard hats. Is that a dishonor to God to say a prayer when I have a hard hat on? Again, don't go to the letter of the law. I would have no conviction whatsoever. Uh, I know I know a young man that, that was so conscientious in this at a young age. He went through a lot of struggles because he got right down to the nitty grits of things in his young mind. And he got to the place where he felt he's being covered when he walked into a house. <laughs> now we say, that's going way far. Yes, brother. Well, I think God made death valley Amen. Amen. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, let's look at the principle here and then make the application to what fits that principle and have a clear conscience on it. Happy is the man that condemneth not that thing which he allows. May God bless you.